Welcome to the Grove Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're a faith community seeking to change lives, change our community, and change the world. And now to this week's message. We hope you enjoy it. I saw a picture, I think it was yesterday, from a triathlon. I'm not naming names. But it was a picture, if I'm not mistaken, it was a picture of someone standing next to an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> now, here's the thing. It got me thinking about, <laughs> it got me thinking about Elvis impersonators. So most of them look like jumpsuit Elvis with a beer gut, right? Am I wrong on that? I mean, there's not a whole lot of Elvis impersonators that are like young Elvis, <laughs> that are like Elvis in his prime. It's always Elvis in decline. <laughs> Am I wrong with that? No, I mean, I, I, I just, it's just, it is, what it, it is what it is, I guess. I mean, so if you're going to be an Elvis impersonator, if you're young and, and handsome, man, there's a market there that's untapped right now. You, you've seen every, every one of them. Okay, all right, well, good. That's good, because that's been my experience. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here, but that dude doesn't look right. Now, I will say, if you've seen the movie, that kid was brilliant. And he, and he nailed it. He nailed it with the, the, the acting. He nailed it with the voice, everything. I mean, that guy, that guy was good. But he's still not Elvis. Today we're going to look at a passage that we're going to actually spend a number of weeks on, and it's four verses. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, we're going to spend weeks on four verses? Yes, but there's a good reason, and you'll find out in a minute. And we're going to look at this idea. This sermon series is called Huios. Can you say that? Huios. It's a, yeah, don't even try Especially if someone's sitting in front of you, you don't want to hawk anything on the back of their head. Huios is the Greek word for anybody know? Anyone? 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 I didn't think anyone would know. It means son. S-O-N. Not S-U-N, but S-O-N. Son. Huios. There's an H in it, but it, the H is almost silent, but it's not silent. It's almost like an H-W together. It's huios. Fun, fun word to say. We're going to look at this idea of huios from particularly a passage in Hebrew. So in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is a letter written to a group of people explaining exactly who Jesus is, how he's connected to the story of God, and the importance of him being son and what it means for him to be son. And I'm getting a note. Three years old. You were three years old when Elvis died. I don't remember how old I was, but that's amazing that you remember that. August 1977, there you go. He's got the date down and everything. August 16th, 1977. Thank you, Ryan, for letting me know that, buddy. Um, when Elvis died, 
there were rumors that he was still alive. There were sightings that, oh, I saw the real Elvis. But everything after that August date in 1977 has been a fake or an imposter. We call them impersonators. And they fall way short of the real Elvis. There were similarly fake messiahs all over the place. People who the people of Israel put all their hope in. And we know some of these, and we know one of them from our year-long study of David. We know that David was this typology. He was kind of this forward representation, or he was a representation of of, of a forward-looking Messiah to come. But David, as great as he was, was also horrible. He was fat Elvis. He was fat, sweaty, probably narked up Elvis compared to the real thing. And so when Jesus shows up, he shows up in the purest form of what a son is and what that means, what it looks like, and all the implications of it. So we're going to take a number of weeks to look at this idea in Hebrews about what it means for Jesus to be the Son and all that that implies, who that is and what it means. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 1, and we're only looking at Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Now, I love the way this starts because in my mind, I hear the beginning of Star Wars. Anybody else? Long ago, and many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's a lot. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've really paid attention to that. That is a ton of theology in two sentences. A ton. Like, mind-blowing amount. And because it's so thick, we're going to take a few weeks to look over what each one of these things is. So he starts out with this two-fold comparison. Let's go back to verse 1. At many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And then there's this other thing that now he has spoken to us by his son. So there's a comparison going on here, but it's a comparison and and a contrast. I would, if I had time, pull out a whiteboard and show you. There's five statements, five parts to these two first two, uh, the first two parts of this this first sentence, because it's a run-on sentence. And those two parts match evenly, and there's five, there's two columns, and there's five equal statements in both of those two columns. One is about the prophets, how God used to speak, and one is about Jesus, how he speaks now. So 
We don't have time to really dive into all that, even though I would love to, and I could geek out on that for like an hour, but we're not going to. Sorry. What you need to know is that this, these first four verses that we read um, is, is poetry in a way. It is a type of poetry, not a poetry that we would recognize, but it was certainly very Hebraic in its poetry, but it was also very hymnonic, which means it was written as if it was a hymn, or it was a hymn, they took a structure of a hymn and used it and compacted it into two sentences. It's beautiful language. There's alliteration, and there's, I guess in English we call it consonants and assonants, right? I've got a couple of, I've got two brilliant ladies in here that could tell me. Is that right? Assonances with vowels and consonances with consonants, right? All right, so that means that there's this repetition of sounds. And if you read this in the original language, it is gorgeous. Now, again, I'm not going to bother you with this because I would butcher it and I would not be able to speak it the way someone who speaks Greek speaks. But it's beautiful. And the whole reason why you have this hymn-like, poetic, beautiful structure is because it wants to point to the beauty of what God has done in our world. What He's done in the past and what He's done through the Son. The structure gives meaning. And that is often the case when we study Scripture. The structure itself, embedded in the way they use words and in the words they use, brings beautiful meaning that is, that is even deeper than kind of below just reading the words as they are in English. The author of this, whom actually some scholars think was a pastor writing kind of a sermon, he uses this eloquent beginning, this eloquent and elegant <clears throat> beginning to show the beauty of what God has done and is doing. So having said that, let's kind of look at what he is saying. At many times and in many ways, those two words basically are, um, if you say them in Greek, sound almost exactly alike. But the word, where it says at many times, it actually might say at many disjointed situations and in many different ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. His point is, is that the old way God interacted with his people in the Old Testament, if we're looking at it from our perspective, was in all these various ways. And the message wasn't ever really complete. I mean, we see that over and over again in the Old Testament, right? God might show up and speak through a donkey. <laughs> he might show up and speak through a whisper. He might show up in lightning and thunder. He might show up as an angel. He might show up in a dream. God shows up in all of these disjointed ways, and he, and he brings messages that are pertinent for that situation and that time, but it's never the complete picture. Does that make sense? Now, there's beauty in that. Part of the beauty in that is that God is so big, and his message to us is so grand it cannot be captured in one sentence, in one experience, 
It can't be captured in one story or in one person. God is huge. He's massive. He's big. And all the things that he wants to share with humanity is so grand and so great, it can't all fit in one message at one time to one person in one way. So there's beauty in this mosaic of how God has spoken to his people. And I would say that there's beauty that continues in that way for us. God speaks to us in, in a mosaic. That's what, makes, that's what makes our relationship with him so beautiful. It's never the same. Sometimes he speaks to you in a thought when you're all alone and you're quiet and you're settled. Sometimes he speaks to you from an ugly bald dude on a stage on a Sunday morning. Sometimes he speaks to you as you're reading scripture or when you're listening to music. Sometimes God speaks through your kids and you're like, kid. I mean, not that that's ever happened to me or anything. Oftentimes, men, he speaks to you through your wife or your significant other. Listen. Women, sometimes, well, never mind. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> but for real, sometimes he speaks to us, to those that are closest to us. Sometimes he will use a complete stranger to speak something into our lives. God speaks to us because he is madly in love with us and he wants to get the message across any way he can. By the way, there is a phenomenal book called Windows to the Soul by an author named Ken Geyer, who's one of my favorite devotional writers, phenomenal. And he talks about this very thing, that we pass by windows, that God's opened up beauty to speak to our souls if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's in ways that we can never imagine. It's a great book, by the way. If you want, go look up Ken Geyer. He's Moments with the Savior, by the way, this is a, has nothing to do with what I just said, but Moments with the Savior by Ken Geyer is a phenomenal devotion book, absolutely phenomenal. So he speaks in all these different ways, and that's the point of one of Ken Geyer's books. So do we have ears to listen and eyes to see? Are we paying attention to God speaking to us? That's part of the beauty of how God spoke in the Old Testament. And that's the point here on this first part of this passage. <clears throat> but he doesn't stop there, does he? He goes on to say, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by, it doesn't say his son as much as it says a son. The implication is his son, but there is no definite article. There's an article, but not a definite article, which means a verse the. We're going to get to that in a minute because I think that's important. But in these last days... The word used for last days here, where there's actually three words that are important that come together, but the one that's used is eschaton, which means an age. It doesn't mean like literally the last couple of days. It doesn't mean like, you know, at some day in the future. It means we are living in the already, not yet. We're living in this age where God has shown up, but the kingdom is not fully consummated yet. We live in an eschaton, an age, or an eon is another Greek word for this. We are living in the time between God's full revelation of himself, Jesus, and when he makes everything right. 
And we are living in that tension. Can't you feel that tension now? We see beauty, but we also see the disasters. We experience grace and love, but we also experience frustration and sometimes hate. We see this and we feel this tension that we're living in because we're in the already God has shown up through Jesus, but not yet. He hasn't fully made everything right yet. He, we are in this work of, re, of God's redeeming. We are in the middle of His process of redeeming. We are in that time, that age, and that's what this word or this phrase means. But in these last days, in this time that we are living now, He has spoken to us finally by a son. Now, why would he use a son instead of the son? You can, if, if, you, got a, if you got an idea, let me, let me know. What, why would he use a son instead of the son? I know it's a hard question. And I know I'm throwing it on you on a Sunday morning. And I know some of you guys stayed up late last night watching the Auburn game. Some of you guys wept last night after watching the Alabama game. I get it. This is a hard question. But I think it's an important one. I think by using a son, it focuses on the quality, not just one particular person. In these last days, God has spoken through a son in a way that we can understand. He is the penultimate person. He is what all humanity is supposed to look like. He is a son at its apex. This is what sonhood is like. If it's the son, none of us can reach that. None of us can ever experience that. Do you get that? So it's about the quality. It's a quality. He is, he is the ultimate son. He is the ultimate son, but he is also the ultimate word, the final word of God to us. He has spoken all of these different ways through all the prophets, and all of those pictures were incomplete. But in Jesus, we have the full message, full stop. He is who we are created to be, and He is the only one that can redeem us. He is the only one that can do away with sin and set the world right. He is it, period. So He is God's final word and His ultimate word. Does that make sense? So, all of this that went on in the Old Testament was all building the picture, but it was still incomplete until Jesus showed up, and Jesus shows up, and he is what, well, he is what he is. He is God in flesh. He is our Redeemer and our Exemplar. He's the one that gives us life and infuses us with life. He's the one that takes away our sin and then empowers us to overcome sin. So he is the last word. There is nothing else that we need to know, right? I mean, obviously, 
We can dive deep into that and what that means, and we're going to over the next few weeks, but He is Huios, Son. Now, ladies, understand that Jesus or New Testament writers calling you a son doesn't discredit you as a woman. It doesn't say that you're lesser. By him calling you son, what he's actually saying is you are a co-heir. Because in their culture, that concept didn't even exist for women. So as we look at this and, and we look at Jesus being our example as a son, women understand that you can be a son too and not in some weird way. You're a son as a co-heir. You are just as important as anybody else, which is a radical thought for Jesus in his day. It is a radical thought for the people who read this book, Hebrews. Before Jesus, everything was fat, sweaty, Elvis. And then the real thing showed up. And in him, we had the fullness of what God wants to do in us and through us and for us. It goes on to list seven things that describe Jesus. He is heir of all things. He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He purifies for sins, and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Seven things that he says in this beautiful poetry about who Jesus is. And each one of those things has deep meaning and and great import for us. These things are extremely important for us to understand so that we can not only understand them theologically, but so that we can live them out ourselves. And so over the next weeks, that's what we're going to dive into. We're going to look at each one of these things and what it means and why it's important to us, how it impacts our understanding of not only Jesus, but also of ourselves and what it means for us as we live our life in this fallen world, as we live in this tension of the already not yet, and the glorious things God is doing and has already done and where it's going and the full consummation. We live in this tension, and it's hard. But here's the thing, guys. We are all called to be sons. God is redeeming the world, and He's setting it right. And his glory and his renown, his power is at play and at work, even if we don't see it. And if you don't see it, turn off 24-hour news. That's the worst thing you can do for yourself. You know where I see it? I see it every day when I show up in places of business. I see it when I sit down with many of you throughout the week. I see it in the smiles and the laughter of the kids of the Grove. I see it 
when we're out and about and we run into people in the streets. Guys, I see it when we gather as, uh, as adults and we share a meal together and we laugh and we have, tell jokes. I see, I see it when we're hiking up a mountainside and over a mountainside and back up another mountainside and, and all that stuff. I see God doing all this beautiful stuff, man, and He is showing up and it's amazing because the sun changes everything. So over the next weeks, let's open our eyes and let's take a look at what he's doing, who he is, and how that impacts us. Because there is beauty in the huias. There's a lot of people, apparently in Memphis, that walk around dressed like Elvis that have the fake going on. Sorry, that was just as embarrassing for me as it was for you. <laughs> but there's nothing like the real thing. Jesus, he's the real thing. We hope you found this week's message meaningful and impactful. And as always, don't just hear it, but put it into practice. Until next time, have a good one.